0: Strong in the lives of people. He has always done so through those who will give themselves fully and completely to Him. Before giving the Ten Commandments, Moses commanded the people to consecrate themselves. Standing on the edge of the Jordan River, Joshua told the people to consecrate themselves fully to God, for He would do wonders among them. Jesus calls us to love Him not with part, but with all. Oh.
1: prophecy of the Old Testament, that the valleys would be raised up, mountains would be made low, that those who are of a humble heart would be raised up, and those who are of arrogance heart would be brought low. Amen? This is what the Lord is doing in this day even. He is raising up those who are humble. He's raising up his church, and he is putting down the mountains of those who have been arrogant and boastful and railed against him. Amen? Amen. So um, when I was growing up, I was the only child. And I had lots of aunts and uncles, and my parents would get together with them, and they loved to play some dominoes, specifically 42, right? So a lot of 42 back in the day, so much so that my parents had their own dominoes made. You can't see it on here, but it says the treadaways on it, right? So my dad was very happy to walk into a house with his own dominoes that said the treadaways on it, because nobody else in the family had that, right? So... They played some 42, and, you know, I, I never really got 42. I, I know it, my dad was really good. My mom was too. They're both very good at it. But if there was dominoes in the house, this is what I did with them, right? This is what I thought they were for. And I, I learned to play just some basic dominoes. I remember playing, um, some people call it moon or shoot the moon, right? I remember um, my mom and dad trying to teach had nice and some 42 and it just didn't click for me for some reason. But this did, this made a lot of sense to me. And so I would, I'd stack them up and we didn't have too many sets of dominoes. So it never was a very long line, but I enjoyed, you know, playing with some dominoes. This was my version of playing dominoes. And when you set them up like this, the purpose is to knock them down. Right. And it started with just just one all you do is hit one and so i love to watch some youtube videos today of you know people who set up thousands tens of thousands of them and they you know they knock one and it goes and it goes uphill and it goes downhill and it and it spells out these you know massive words big pictures whatever but it's all starts with the one and you knock the one down and then they all start falling and then the glory of the moment is when they all fall down right and then the the, it's revealed ta-da and so, um, I was thinking what it would be like if, and I experienced this along the way, sometimes I didn't space them out right, and you would start, and then it would just like, and it would just, that was it, it didn't finish all the way through. And I thought, know, yeah, it'd be interesting if, if a domino had its own will, let's say this one right here said, okay, oh, I bumped it, let me start over, let me start over again, yeah, that one's still standing, how about that, Interesting. So let's say they're all here and they're doing their thing and they're all lined up. But let's say, I'm going to go back to this guy. Let's say he said, I don't want to fall. I don't want to move. And you started. Dude, do your part. If he had his own will though, even though He was pressured, even though the move was there, even though it was time for him to fall, if he chose not to, the rest of the glory could not be experienced because he chose not to move. Christian life is similar. You and I have a moment where God begins a work in us. We are born again and he begins to transform us. He begins to change who we are and we begin to change the way we think. We begin to change the way we behave and things about us begin to change. Our perspective, our relationships. If we're an adult, it begins to change our marriage. It begins to change how we parent. It begins to change how we view life, the habits we have had or pick up or put down. But God is interested in a continuous movement. He doesn't save you just to save you. He saves you to begin a work in you until you are conformed to the very image of Christ. And that process takes place all the way to either your death or rapture. And watch this. It continues in heaven. And so the process is important. And the same way we began, we are to continue humble and willing to do whatever he asks. Baptism is a beginning point. It's a place of obedience to God before others. And then our prayer for Harper, as any other believer, is that that now becomes the rhythm of life. God, whatever you want to do, I am willing to do it, even if it is different than what I have known, different than what I have experienced, or even different than what I might want. But I make the choice to obey. But if along the way, we reach a place where we say, nah, I'm not going to do that. Whatever that is, is different for each person. A place where we either passively just say, "Eh." or we purposefully put our foot down and say, not doing it, not yielding that part, not giving over that place. Then we become stale. Then we become stuck in our faith. And so often, we can reach places, and I've, I've experienced this, where all of a sudden life doesn't have the same passion that it once did. All of a sudden my faith is not as vibrant as it once was. All of a sudden I don't sense the closeness that I once knew. All of a sudden my relationships begin to just become blah, mundane. And then the conflict starts. And then I'm looking for ways to deal with what I'm going through. Often what happens is we get to a stuck spot, a stale spot, because there was a moment that God said to us, the next step of obedience I have for you is this. And we said no, like that domino. We said, I'm not going to allow any more movement. It's not that God didn't want to move. It's that you and I chose in that moment to not move. But we know that obedience is what God uses in us to transform us to be like Jesus and use us for greater purposes. Noah chose to obey God against the odds and the reason of the day. And as a result, his family was saved. Moses obeyed God and went back to rescue God's people. And as a result, a nation was saved. Jesus obeyed. And as a result, you and I Have a way for salvation. Peter obeyed and preached the gospel in the book of Acts. And as a result, the Holy Spirit came and the church was born and thousands were saved. Because of someone who said, I will no longer let my passive or purposeful disobedience keep me stuck. I don't want to be the reason that no more movement happens in my life. Amen? Today, our our message is called Abandon Before Freedom. If you want to experience true freedom in your life, it comes with abandon, with real surrender to make Jesus Lord of the all in your life. Not just the beginning point, not just one year in, but wherever you are and forever you are. Amen? So turning your Bibles today to Matthew 16. Let me show you uh, the week, this week's devotional readings. If you want to take a picture of these on screen, they'll also be on our app. They'll be on social media as well. I hope you're enjoying following along um, in the Bible with messages or with devotions related to the message. Um, this one follows the story of Sarah, in the Old Testament and her choice to abandon to God and the freedom in life that it brought to her and eventually all of us. So uh, that's your reading for this week. Today, we are just in two verses, and really we're going to camp out on one. Matthew 16, verse 24, Jesus is um, with the disciples. They are less than a year away from the cross, And Jesus and the disciples are aware of the tension mounting against them, so much so that uh, Jesus... Uh, Ask the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they have the discussion back and forth. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon this rock, this confession, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Jesus is intensifying the call here. Because what he says next is what's necessary for anyone who comes after him. But note this, what he is about to say... He is saying to his disciples who are already following him. Okay, Matthew 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now the disciples are going to have a hard time putting all this together because they know what the cross is they know it is the mode for death they know it is the mode of punishment and so they're wrestling with what this means because jesus is saying if you're going to follow me then you're going to have to live a lifestyle of denying yourself and you're going to have to take up your own death to yourself and follow me in that now this stands in stark contradiction to our culture today, who says, deny myself. That's who I am. I am my urges and appetites and whatever funky thing I feel, that's me. Hello? And they act on that. And so Jesus comes with this radical message that says, no, if you want to experience real life, if you want to know real life, you're going to have to begin at the place of denying yourself. So it's important for us as Christians that we don't get caught up in the cultural model today that says, listen to your urges, follow your heart, and do what you want to do. No, that is counter to everything that Jesus said. He says, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to learn to deny yourself. You're going to have to recognize your will and his will and choose his will, even when it means putting to death your will. Amen? So verse 25 is really where we're gonna to stand today for just a minute. Then Jesus says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. A few things here. Um, Jesus says, for whoever. That's good news. This is not just for those who have lived perfectly or come from rich Riches or who come from popularity or royal breed, whoever, whoever would come. He says, here's the thing, whoever it is, whoever among you, desires to save his life. That's the next phrase I want us to look at here. Desires to save his life. Whoever is in this place where they say, you know, my real purpose, my real direction, my real desire is to save my life. Now, this word here for save is interesting and it plays into what we need to really understand today. Uh, Here's some things that the word save meant when Jesus said it. Save meant to keep safe. Save meant to protect save meant to preserve. These are all things that save meant. I think I've got a screen that we can look at all these definitions. Keep safe to protect, to preserve, to rescue, to manage or control. So Jesus was saying whoever wants to think of their life themselves and say I want to keep my life safe. I want to keep it Comfortable. I want to keep it easy. I want to protect it. I want to draw the boundaries. I want to preserve it. I want to keep myself from trouble. I want to manage it. I want to control it. He says, if that is your approach to life, you're actually going to have some trouble. You're going to lose your life. Save though. If you want to protect and control your life, this was really the deception of the serpent in the garden hey, you can't really trust God. Why don't you just control your own life was in essence what the serpent was saying. And so today, he offers that same whisper. Hey, don't you want to really just control the narrative that other people see about your life? Don't you want to just keep it all safe? Because we all want to do that, right? There's a part of us that says, hey, I really want to control how people see me. I want to to look good before other people. And Jesus says, if you live to save yourself, to control your own life, you'll end up losing it. If you're trying to always control your emotions so that no one ever sees you weep or be sad or struggle, you're actually going to lose on the deal. But boy, it's a wrestling point, isn't it? To say, I don't don't want anyone to see me cry. Why? Why? What's the worst thing that's going to happen if someone sees you shed a tear? Well, I might, I might lose control and just start being a blubbering mess. And why is that the worst thing in the world? Why isn't that a greater demonstration of the power of God to change our heart? Amen? So if you try to save yourself, if you try to control how other people see you, try to control your emotions, try to control the decisions you make by not asking anybody else for counsel. You try to control your reputation. Always have to prove yourself. Always have to point out all the things you do well and the bad things everybody else does. If you always try to control the narrative by and anytime something bad happens, you blame someone else because you can't afford to look bad on the deal. Hello. It comes with humility. Acknowledging you messed up Sometimes even in front of other people. Stop controlling the narrative. Stop trying to control even bad things from happening. Man, this just goes all over 21st century American living. i got to control my life. i got to control the story. i got to control the narrative. I've got to control myself so that no bad thing happens. Well, what if God wants to give you a purpose for your life that may actually involve some trouble, but it actually involves a greater glory of Him in your life? If you're always trying to control the narrative and control the story and save yourself, you're going to miss out on what God actually has for you. I'm trying to control my relationships so I keep them all surface level. I keep them all real safe because I don't want to I don't want others to see who I really am, how I really am. I'm trying to control things. I'm trying to control everybody else as well. I want to control them and what they're doing. I want to point out what they're doing wrong because I really like to save myself, to control myself. I want to keep my faith extremely private because I don't want people to see what I'm going through. Hello. It is in your humility that God gives greater grace and he pours out his glory. If nobody ever cracks and says, here's where I need Jesus in my life, then there's no glory in the room. There's no glory by a bunch of statues standing in a room saying nothing about the glory of God. Amen. If you want to if you're just going to keep on saving your life, you're going to keep on controlling the story. If you're going to keep on just rescuing yourself, you're going to keep on playing it cool in front of everybody else, you will end up losing your life. You will lose the glory of God working in your life. You will lose out on what God has for you. Here's what the word lose means in this situation. It means to reach the end, to render useless, to fail to obtain, to be without, to know defeat, to miss out. If you keep trying to just control the story, control the the narrative and let no one see what God is doing in your life, let no one ever see you vulnerable, let no one ever see you high, You will be the one who will miss out. Life will be like this domino line. You will say, no. And it'll stop right there. You'll reach the end. Oh, life will keep moving, but it will be empty and mundane and sad and boring and lifeless and passionless. You will lose You will fail to obtain what God really had for you. You'll be without. You'll actually know defeat in your life. You'll wonder why you're not having any victory over temptation in your life. You'll wonder why your relationships are all upside down. You'll wonder why you have no peace when you put your head on your pillow at night. It's because you have tried to live to save yourself. This is real for Christians as much as it is the lost. Because remember, Jesus was talking here to who? The disciples. If you try to save your life, you'll lose lose it. But God said, or Jesus said here in this this verse, but whoever loses his life for my sake, hmm, here's the hope. But whoever reaches the place and says, I can't do this anymore. I tried to control it. I tried to manage it. I tried to keep it safe. I tried to not let anybody in. I tried to keep away from other people. I tried to not let anybody see me sweat. I tried to not let anybody see me vulnerable, see me cry, see me broken, see me worship, see me pray see me obey, the, obey God in my life, see me read the Bible, let my family see me weak, let my wife hear me pray because I might sound foolish, let my children hear me pray because they might think I don't know what I'm talking about. Whoever puts himself in the place where they're trying to save their life will lose it, but whoever will get to the place where they say, I don't care anymore about all of that. I am purging all of that from my life and I am pursuing Jesus Christ and I will lose every bit of my arrogance and pride and self glory before other people and all of my control issues, I'm going to lay every bit of them down because whoever will lose his life for the sake of Jesus who will say there's nothing more important than him and his glory, that person will find life They will all of a sudden experience something they had never known before. They will experience new freedom, new peace, new evidence of God working in their life, new glory, and a new freedom to love God boldly and unashamedly. Amen? Jesus was talking to his disciples. Now, uh, this morning, I want you to hear a story from a man who has been attending Vertical and a move that God has done in his life that to me, um, Jesus' words define for us. So we're going to reset the stage here a little bit and let me introduce to you a man named Larry Liner. Larry, come on up. Y'all give Larry a hand. Larry uh, lives in Cedar Hill, brother. And uh, he is a friend of the Glenn family. So Truett is married to Chloe, who was a Glenn. She's a tread away now. And um, so uh, Larry's a longtime friend and neighbor of the Glenn family. So Larry's been attending here some. So uh, we're going to listen to a thread that moves through Larry's life that brings us to this point today. So, Larry, let's, let's give a little context here. Um, where did you go to high school, and when did you graduate?
2: I was a Grand Prairie gopher, I always thought that was a weak-looking mascot, <laughs> but uh, I graduated in 1970. 1970,
1: so you can all do a little bit of math. You know that's a safe way around asking someone's age, right? <laughs> Ask when they graduated high school, so you can do a, little, do a little math. I'm sure you're not afraid to tell your age.
2: No. It rhymes with when I graduated, 1970 and
1: I'm 70. Okay, there you go. So, uh, Larry's got a story of how God has worked in his life. He he went to seminary as well and graduated from Southwestern in Fort Worth. Um, But that's not necessarily where our story is today. Uh, Let's go back to just after graduating high school. So, uh, there comes a day where you look into the mirror and you make a decision.
2: Well, in 1970, when I graduated, uh, life was good. I thought everything was fine. Uh, My freshman year in high school, I was playing basketball out in West Texas at a junior college. And uh, I looked in the mirror one day and went, hmm, my hair's looking thinner. And that was a shock to me. I was 18 years old. And I did not want to be an 18-year-old bald person. So I was already starting to think, in 1970, my first couple of, probably the first month or two of college, I was already starting to think, I'm going bald, and I'm going to have to do something about this.
1: Yeah, so at that age, 18 or so, you make a decision.
2: I did, and you know, the words you put up uh, about save and the different definitions of save, and one of them was preserve, yeah.
0: it was
2: one of those definitions that you put up. And I think at eighteen years old, I was wanting to preserve my youth.
0: Mm.
2: I was wanting to still be young. I wanted to look young. I wanted to. I felt young. Yeah. And I wanted the way I looked to match that. Yeah. But I also have to admit that behind that word preserve is the word ego, mm-hmm. that there's some ego involved as we look in the mirror each day with each one of us, and we want to shape what we see. Yeah. So what do you do?
1: It's 1970. Cool. Bald is not as cool as it is today. Oh, yeah. Kojash oh, is on I wish. TV.
2: I wish Michael Jordan had been around then. You yeah, know, it would have It would have been a lot easier. would have helped. Right. Um, but at that point, the only thing I knew to do, and the thing that I said I would do when I got money, was get a hairpiece. Hmm. So it was four years later, 1974, I was 22, and I finally had money, but I got a hairpiece. I didn't get it at Kroger, by the way, <laughs> but I did get a hairpiece. I say, I've never seen that department uh, there, but... So, this is one of many generations of hairpieces that I had. And so in 1974, when I got it, I was fairly joyful about it. I felt like I nearly looked like I was 18 again. And no
1: one really knew. It's not like you put it out there and...
2: There were a few people that knew. There were a few people. One of them is going to come up in this story. His name's Keith Odom. Okay. Uh, so he knew. There were a few people that knew, but mostly, obviously, if you're trying to wear a disguise, you don't want people to know you're wearing a disguise. So it yeah. wasn't anything that I publicized at all.
1: Right. And you're an active guy at this point. You, you're still an active guy today, but you, you played
2: basketball? Yeah. Okay. Now, let me tell you how that worked. I've not ever told you that, but. When I initially got it, it was a painful uh, process to wear the toupee because they sewed it onto your head. And so for me to be able to be active, initially for the first few years they run a line along your hairline wherever you've got a hairline. And then they actually sew the hairpiece onto your head. So I could be as active as I wanted to then, but at some point it became so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, you know, showering and shampooing and doing all the stuff that, so, you know, I was nearly one of those hair commercials where they come up out of the pool and I could do all the all the cool stuff that makes it look like I've got hair and nobody knows, but a few people.
1: Yeah, so there's a day you were telling me you're at a
2: lake and
1: this all begins to be an issue.
2: Well, that happened some years later. Uh, That was July the 4th of 1995. And at this point, I was at the lake with my friend Keith Odom and my friend, he owned the lake house, Uh, and then my friend Kim Havens, who was 10 years younger than me. Them and their families were all around, and Kim knew that I wore a hairpiece. Keith knew that I wore a hairpiece, but I didn't know how many other people on the shore knew. Uh, So Kim said, Get on the sea dew, get on that float out there, and I'm going to drag you around the lake. And he proceeded to really drag me around the lake, Brian. He, he was Zooming, and I was flying at one point. I got airborne and went flying, and so did my hairpiece. And at that point, it wasn't sewed on. So I could imagine it sinking to the bottom and me spending the rest of the July the fourth weekend sitting around bald with all these little kids and people that, you know, it was going to be a revelation. So... As I went under, I had no idea what my hairpiece was doing.
1: So you got thrown off.
2: I got thrown off the inner tube and so did my hairpiece. And so I just, I thought, man, do I even want to come up? Maybe I should just stay under here. This is horrible. But I came up and my hairpiece happened to be floating within arm's length of where I was. So Let, let's just that. take this
1: in for just a minute. At this point, you're 20 years, 20 years in wearing this. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, in 95, years.
1: And this moment happens. Did you hear what he said? When he went underwater, he wondered if he should not come back up. This is not just a funny moment to make this a kind of funny story. This is real for him. He says, I don't know. If I want to face life with everyone knowing that I wear a
2: toupee, right? Yeah. yeah. So you come up, and it's there. It's there. I put the wet thing up on my head, and it stays because it's wet, and I tell Kim, take it easy and go into shore. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Uh... So wow. that was that weekend. Okay, uh, so
1: these two two men, two guys, know two your guys, story. Two guys,
2: Kim and Keith, were and both they, there that day.
1: <clears throat> but they're good. They're good friends, so they yeah. don't tell right. people. Right. Yeah. So Larry came in the office one day, and Truett and I talked with him, and there's many other parts of the story, so we're doing a little fast-forwarding here, but I want you to try to catch some of the gravity of what's happening and how significant this is for him. So uh, we fast-forward even... Up to just two
2: months ago, well, now it's three. It was in October, three months, three months ago. Um, when we were in your office, it was probably two months <laughs> correct <laughs> so
1: just just to know when I met Larry and all the time i 've known Larry, he's still wearing the hairpiece. when I meet him some Initial. In, a year ago or yep. whatever it was um, and so three months ago you're outside
2: i'm you're outside i 'm Up in a tree, uh, a ladder, on a ladder up in a tree, my feet are maybe six or seven feet off the ground, and I'm cutting limbs out of a cedar tree. I get about eight limbs cut, and I'm on the ninth limb, and when it gives away, something happens. I still don't know exactly what, if it was just the saw falling out of my hand, me, but ultimately I'm falling too. Uh, So I fall and hit the ground and kind of lay there taking inventory, moving ankles, moving legs, moving things, and seeing if things still work. And everything still worked till I started trying to get up. Mm. And when I started trying to get up, I felt like one of those fake wrestlers trying to get up, and he really can, but he's just pretending he can't. And I felt that way. I was just you know, I was all over the place. I was like a puppet. and uh, But finally I got to my feet and it seemed like everything was okay. I worked for five or six more hours out in the yard that day. Wow. But I didn't realize that something was going on in my head.
1: Yeah. So the Glens live next door and they're kind of keeping an eye on Larry and they start to recognize some behavior that eh, is concerning. Right? And so you end up through some... Well, their assistants to try to get you to the hospital. You go to the hospital. Yeah. You didn't want to? Finally. Yeah. He goes,
2: and you go in, and what do they say? I don't know what they say. I'm told what they say, because at this point, I'm pretty out of it. Okay. I really am pretty out of it. Uh, they say that's what happens. Your faculties just continue to decrease and decline till you're you don't even really know what's going on around you. So you must have hit your head. Well, it was something, it was was just called a slow brain bleed. And so for two months, the fluid is building up, all the blood is building up and pushing my brain over uh, to one side of my head, and I don't realize it's happening, it's very gradual. It's Mm. very, very gradual, and so Yeah, Connie finally gets me to go, and they immediately do a CT scan that I don't remember any of this stuff. I don't remember about the last two or three days before I went into the hospital. Mm. I have no real memory of stuff. But they immediately saw the problem, and the next day did a six-hour brain operation.
1: So these are scars. Yeah. And they have improved.
2: They've improved even more than I want them to because I found out what a valuable witness tool they were. Once I got out of the hospital, people immediately wanted to ask me, what happened to you? And I go, oh, you wouldn't believe how God has used this. It was an immediate witness tool that God gave me. And I initially, before I got out of the hospital, I was praying, God, take these scars away. Once I got out, I was going, God, let me keep these scars. These are valuable. So you're in the hospital, you've got these
1: scars, and the doctor gives you some information that's about to change some
2: things for you. Well, I immediately knew when I saw the placement of these scars and the placement of the tape base that's on my hairpiece, this falls right on the place that you tape onto the the hairpiece. So I'm going, that's over. That's over for months. I'm not going to wear this thing. So the game is over. So, pretending is over. 50
1: years of living, covering, protecting, preserving has now come to an end. Now, I love what happens next because you make a call to these two friends.
2: Well, they were coming over anyway. They actually called me on Friday, and I knew they were both coming over. They were not coordinating with each other. That's why I think it's so amazing, God's sovereignty uh, in how he handles things. Because he had these two same guys uh, from 1995, July the 4th, 1995, and now it's December 17th. It's the day I'm going to get out, 2022. 2022. And these same two guys are here in my hospital room. The night before, when Kim called me, the one who was dragging me around the lake, uh, when he called, I already had in mind, because he'd called, we worked together for 32 years. Mm. So we've worked together uh, as job. Uh, So he calls me and says he's coming over. And I already had in my mind, I didn't have a razor, so I was just horrible uh, for all that time, probably for a couple of days before I even went into the hospital. Uh, so I said, hey, Kim, could you bring a razor over when you come? He said, yeah, sure. Do you want me to bring some uh, shave cream too? I said, oh, it doesn't matter. I can, I can do fine. But I was kind of laying out a fleece, I told you. This was mm-hmm. kind of my fleece because he had called me into his office when I was 60 years old on my 60th birthday. He called me into his office and he said, Larry, don't you think it's time you quit wearing that thing? And at the time, I didn't think it was time. He said, you're 60 years old. You don't have to have hair anymore. It's popular not to have hair these days. Uh, But I wasn't ready then. I was still Still, too much pride, too much ego, too much of me, uh, too much worried about how other people looked at me. Uh, So, my fleece was God, when He comes over here, have Him bring a groomer as well, not just the. And so, Keith came in first on that Saturday morning, December 17th, when I was getting out of the hospital. And we sat and talked for a while, and then Kim came into the room, and he had a little brown paper bag, a little lunch sack with him. And I go, well, I know he brought the shave cream and the razor, because you would just bring the razor if you didn't need a bag. But I was praying, God, I hope he brought the, the groomer as well.
1: You mean like an electric razor?
2: Electric groomer, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So... We sat there talking for five or ten minutes, just the three of us. And then I said, so did you bring me a razor? So I thought he was cute with the way that he did it. He he stood up and he got his little bag and he held it up. And he reached in and he brought out the razor. And he laid it down. And then he reached in and he brought out the shave cream. And he laid it down. And then he looked at me with this, are you ready for this kind of look? And he reached in and he brought out the groomer and he held it up. And I was going, yes, yes, God answered that. And then tell,
1: tell everybody what happens next. I love this moment.
2: Are you talking These about when we do? Yep. Okay. I said, let's do it, guys. So my two friends, we go into the, hospital bathroom that's there in my room and they sit me down start out with a groomer get the razor and we shave everything off and I said this is it this is, this is who I am from now on
1: is that not crazy <laughs> you might think okay cool that's just about hair no it's about a whole lot more than that because Larry is attending Vertical during this time, so back in December, January-ish. And now, four weeks ago, I see Larry. He looks like this. The scar scar's a bit more prevalent. And I talked to him after a service on a Sunday morning, and something has changed inside, not just outwardly. Something's changed inside for you. Tell everybody what happened inside for you.
2: For several weeks, as I was coming to Vertical, uh, I was just experiencing a different form of worship, a different kind of worship, a different freedom in my heart. He who the sun sets free is free indeed. Yeah, amen. And I was experiencing that kind of freedom as I worshiped. And as you were touching on, it just seemed like, each one of your sermons was custom made for me, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I imagine some of y'all have had that same feeling yeah. that he's talking to you today. God's word does that. Yeah. God's word examines our yeah, heart. Amen. It amen. helps amen. us to see our flaws and our, our tendencies and what we want, the things that we value and that we shouldn't value. And I certainly was feeling that, just yeah. a new freedom.
1: Yeah, that's what Larry told me. He said... I've never worshiped like I have this morning. And it wasn't because of necessarily what the music was. It was because he had come to a new place of abandon in his heart and said, Okay, God, it's all off. It's yours. He who keeps, or he who tries to save his life will lose it. But the one who's willing to lose it all will find it. And I thought Larry's story was such a beautiful example of that in a very, visible way. Amen? I know you probably have one more thing you want to say.
2: Well, I just want to say a few verses uh, that are very meaningful to me. One of them is Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? There's so many different parts of my life. This wasn't the only change that God wanted to make. While I was in the hospital and for the days afterwards, He was showing me many, many things about my life, many things that He wants to change. This is one of the most outward, visible, personal things that He wanted to change. But there's lots of things that God just kind of turned upside down in my life. Hmm. And so that verse was meaningful to me. Why don't you do what I say? And I said, Lord, I'll do whatever you say. And then Luke 12, 2 says, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden, that will not be made known. Mm. We may think we're fooling other people and hiding things from other people, but we're not.
1: Yeah, amen. Hey, let's give Larry a hand. Thank you so much, Larry. That takes great vulnerability. I'll Go ahead and stand with me this morning. It takes great vulnerability to be that level honest. But the joy and the freedom that comes afterwards is powerful because this is what God intends for us. To know that kind of willingness to obey whatever God says. So as we as we close this morning, we're gonna go ahead and sing a song. I know we're one minute till ten fifteen, but that's okay. We're we want to do what God has to do, right, in our hearts. So I, I don't want to miss this moment because I'm confident God is speaking right now. I'm confident as the truth has gone out, and you've heard Larry's story that you've thought, oh. I know what it is in my life. I know the thing I've not wanted to let go of. I know the thing I've tried to control. I know the thing that I've tried to keep safe and in my own hands. And God is saying, let me have that. Let me have that. There's more for you, but you need to let me have that. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I'd ask that you would help us to take those steps whatever it is this morning to be willing to let go of the control to let go of trying to be safe to keep things easy to keep my faith separate to not do what you want God I pray for a spirit of liberty this morning to just break out amongst us, that we would leave our stuck spots, that we would leave the places where we've been resistant and stubborn, and that we would surrender and yield whatever it is you're calling us to let go of. We pray this with the confidence of knowing your spirit is here, your word is alive and Jesus, you are at work in us, and we pray that in his name, amen.